0: Lord, for thy grace, that we thy dwelling place
1: may be. Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21 year long crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible. We'll include excerpts from his spoken ministry Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Yet in other places in the New Testament, we're told that the law has been done away with. This has made the subject of the law a subject of great controversy and debate among Christians for hundreds of years. In the Old Testament, it was clear that God dealt with his people through the principle of the law. But in the New Testament, that principle has been replaced by the principle of faith. So does that mean that believers now have no obligation to conduct themselves according to the high standard of Scripture? Bob Danker has joined us once again. We're going to explore this very pertinent and yet much misunderstood topic
2: today, the law for the New Testament believers. Welcome back to the program, Brother Bob. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here to fellowship with you about this crucial and very enlightening principle that we will see here in Matthew 5. Bob, the law can be a reflection of
1: many things. It can merely reflect a level of morality or ethics, or it can reflect a ritual, or it can even reflect the inward nature of a particular kind of life. And I believe it's true that there are believers that approach this issue from all of these perspectives.
2: Yes, Chris. uh, Many consider the law as a code of morality or ethics. And others consider it mainly for its ritualistic uh, observances, Mm -hmm. which we do see in the Old Testament law. But actually, in giving the law, God was more interested in the nature of his people, that his people would live a life that expressed God himself. And this is uh, God's real intention in giving us the law, showing us what kind of people we should be according to the nature of God himself. Well, Bob,
1: we began with this verse today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where the Lord Jesus said very clearly that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And yet, in other places in the New Testament, it's very clear that we're released from the principle of the law. This may seem as a contradiction or at least a paradox, but I think we're going to see today that this issue is resolved in a marvelous way if our eyes are open. And uh, I believe from the ministry we're going to receive today from Witness Lee, our eyes will be opened. Let's join him now for this first section.
0: In all has been, you have to keep the law, then you can have a good fellowship with God. But today, you need to have the faith, then you can uh, get into the fellowship with God. Today, God's dealing with His people is based upon the principle of faith. The principle of the law was ended, but not the commandment. You shouldn't say the principle of the law was abolished, so all the commandments of the law were also abolished. That means you don't need to honor your parents, and you are free to steal, and you are free to kill people, because all these commandments are abolished. No, the principle of the law was ended was abolished, but the commandments of the law are not abolished, rather, all of them are uplifted. The principle of the law means what? means God dealing with his uh, people always depends upon a principle. If you look into God dealing with Abraham, you could see God dealing with him was based upon God's promise. God didn't give Abraham any commandment. God only gave Abraham the promise. So, God dealing with Abraham was according to God's promise. So, the promise given by God, Abraham, became the principle upon which God dealt with Abraham. Then later on, Moses came, and God gave the law through Moses to the children of Israel. Then that law given at Mount Sinai became the principle according to which God dealt with the children of Israel. In the New Testament, You can see today, God deals with the believers in Christ, not according to law, but according to the faith.
1: Well, Bob, maybe this seems ambiguous to many people, but let's talk about it a bit. What does it mean that in the New Testament dispensation, the principle of the law has been done away with, but not the commandment or the law itself?
2: Well, the commandment of the law, of course, refers to the moral requirements of the law. And actually, anyone who keeps the moral requirements of the law will live a life that expresses God himself. And this is what God wants. God will never uh, do away with or abolish the commandments of the law. And the Lord's word here in Matthew 5 tells us that he did not come to do that, but rather he came to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. So, God has no intention to do away with the commandments of the law. But, as you mentioned, uh, God has replaced the principle of the law in the New Testament by the principle of faith. Now, we need to understand a little bit what does it mean, the principle of the law. And in his speaking, Witness Lee used some examples. We can go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham's relationship with God, as we see in Genesis was absolutely based upon God's word of promise that he spoke to Abraham. So Abraham's entire relationship to God was based on the principle of God's promise, which God gave to him. Then, later on, with Moses, we can see that God came in to give the law in the Old Testament through Moses. And this became a new principle based on which God had a relationship with his people. And his people had a relationship or fellowship in New Testament terms with him. If they kept the law, then they were able to have a good relationship with God. If they broke the law, however, then they were in trouble in terms of their relationship with God because it was altogether based upon whether they kept the law or didn't keep the law. We see in the Old Testament many times the children of Israel had a big problem with God because they did not keep the law. And God had to come in and deal with them and judge them based upon the principle of the law. Well, this principle didn't work well in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, he brought in a new principle, and that is the principle of faith. So today, our relationship with God is not based upon our keeping of the law of the Old Testament, but it's based upon our faith in Christ. Actually, this faith is not just a kind of a mental agreement with the gospel or the teachings of the Bible. This faith is a living faith in a living person that joins us to that person and that causes that person to enter into us and to become one with us. So now we have a relationship with God in the principle of faith which makes us one with Christ and makes Christ one with us. God wants us to live our Christian life based upon this principle – not on the principle of trying to keep the law by the strength and the effort of our natural life. God wants us to be joined to Christ by faith and to live by the principle of faith. Let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: Salvation in a new husband is based upon the principle of faith. It has nothing to do with the law. We all have been saved through faith. But after we've been saved, we need to live a life with a standard that is much higher than the life keeping the law. Don't think we are saved not by keeping the law. To be even immoral, regardless what what we are saved, and we have been saved by faith, not by law. We have nothing to do now, and now just cannot touch us. No, no, no. This is the drugging. This is the right. drugging teaching. No. We all have to be sober. After being saved by faith, we need to live a life with a standard that is higher than the standard of the people who keep the law. The law only requires you not to kill people. But this life after our salvation requires us not to be angry with anyone. Then another law referring to adultery. Idolatry refers to lust. You know, the two things that all the time damage us, bother us, are what? Are our temper and lust. This is why I warn you, don't stay and talk with other sex. Just by yourself with her or with him for a longer time. If you do this, you'll be what? Tempted. The lust is there. The lust is fierce like a tiger. So these two things are the things all the time bother us. The anger or the temper and the lust. This is not easy. And this is why you need Christ. And this is why you need uh, another higher life. You need uh, to Yourself to him. You need to contact him not day by day, but even hours after hour. You need to have a constant and instant fellowship with him all the time.
1: Well, Bob, let's talk about this point for a few minutes. The Bible reveals, and we discussed earlier, that faith is the unique requirement for salvation. It's now also the principle upon which our relationship with God exists and is maintained. The law has no part in our being saved. But does that mean then that God does not require his people to live according to His standard?
2: Well, we can see the answer to that, Chris, by reading this portion, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. Here is a wonderful portion of the word. It tells us that the Lord had no intention to abolish the standard of the law. In fact, if we look carefully at the Lord's Word in this section of Matthew, we will find out that the Lord increased the standard or raised the standard. He didn't lower it. He raised it to a higher level. How did he do that? Well, the standard of the law in the Old Testament related mainly to a person's outward behavior. As long as a person did not commit murder— He could be a good law-keeping person. As long as a person did not commit adultery, an immoral act of adultery, then he would be a law-keeper according to the standard of the law of the Old Testament. But what did the Lord do in Matthew 5? He put the standard up to a higher level by dealing not just with the outward actions or behavior of a person, but with the inward motives as well. So here the Lord said, it's not enough to refrain from murdering somebody. According to the higher law of the kingdom of the heavens, we should not even be angry with our brother. And if we are angry with our brother and we despise him, then we are in danger of being judged. So this touches our inward motive of anger. And then the the Lord said, it's not enough not to commit adultery. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, that is sin. The whole focus here goes from the outward to the inward motive. The reason people commit murder is because they're filled with anger. And the reason people commit adultery or fornication is that they're filled with lust. So actually, the standard of the kingdom of the heavens is to have no anger toward our brother and no lust. Who can keep such a standard? Actually, Only one person in the entire universe is able to keep this standard, and that is Christ himself. And this is precisely the key thing here. What this shows us, Chris, is that if we're going to live in the kingdom and meet the requirements of the kingdom, we cannot rely on our own natural life because our life is not capable of living to such a high standard. This means that we must join ourselves to Christ every day and every moment of the day by faith. Christ, today, he's the life-giving spirit and he dwells in our spirit. If we are one with him, then spontaneously we will live a life that keeps not only the requirement of the Old Testament law, but that also satisfies the requirement of the higher law of the kingdom of the heavens. This is a life that is just the living of Christ in us.
1: Well, Bob. Of course, the consequence in the Old Testament of violating the law was to have yourself brought under the realm of judgment. Judgment's the topic in our last segment today. Let me read a couple of verses from Revelation chapter 20. This is one aspect that's going to be touched. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne And the scrolls were opened, and another scroll was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by the things which were written in the scrolls according to their works. This is the great white throne of judgment, and it will be the consequence, the meeting place of uh, all of those who have not experienced God's full salvation in the age to come. What we really want to look at in this last section, what about judgment for God's people, those who have received him? Here's Witness Lee once again.
0: After we have been saved, according to the principle of faith, we need to live a higher life. Have you read through all these verses? Just a little content will cause you to be judged. Don't think this means you will be lost. You will perish. No, no, no. You will not perish. You will not be lost. No parish one, no lost one, will be qualified to go to that judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. You are qualified to go there. And you are qualified to get a problem. a problem. You see, I never robbed the bank. I never murdered any person. I only lost a little temper. That's good enough. You'll go there. <laughs> You'll go there to be judged. And that judgment at the judgment seat of Christ is described here three times by three kinds of judgment. All these three levels of judgment refer to that one judgment, the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. We Christians, we the saved ones, according to the prince of faith, will be judged. Not at the white trunk recorded in Revelation chapter 20 but will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ and this will be 1,000 years earlier than the white throne. yes to be saved it is absolutely by faith through grace that's right but after you have been saved you be careful you need to live a life that is higher than what the old law requires. It not only touches the outward doing, but it touches the inward motive. Such a high standard. What shall we do then? The Lord's word warns us. If you would not be serious, you'll be put into the fire. Don't think this is to be lost. We have to be fearful and trembling. I must take myself to the resurrection of Christ. I must be one with him. I must trust in him. I must rely upon him. I must stay in him. I must remain with him because the standard of morality of the kingdom of the heavens is too high for me. And this is too serious. We have to flee your temper. Flee your lust. This is not a small thing to lose your temper. And this is not a small thing to be tempered in your lust. This will cause you to be burned. This is the very, very crucial point of the Lord's decree here concerning the law. These serious words... May force us to take ourselves
1: to Christ. Well, Bob, many Christians live their life believing that since they're saved by faith, they'll never have to face the Lord at His judgment seat. And as we read earlier and just heard Witness Lee speak about, the Bible does clearly say that all the unbelievers will face God one day at this great white throne. What does it reveal about His children coming to the judgment seat, Bob? Is there such a thing as a judgment seat for the saved ones?
2: Well, Chris, this is a very crucial matter revealed in the Bible. We need to have a clear understanding about this. Actually, if a person is saved by believing in Christ, he will never appear before God at the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20 that judgment at the great white throne will take place at the end of the millennium and only the unbelievers, those who have not received Christ, will appear at the judgment seat. And of course, we know all of them will perish in the lake of fire for eternity. But as you ask the question, what about the believers? Are the believers absolved from all judgment after they're saved? Well, it's for sure that they will never stand before the great white throne. But the New Testament clearly tells us that before the millennium, when the Lord returns, he will set up what is called his judgment seat, and all the saved ones, all the believers will appear before him at his judgment seat. And I would like to recommend that our listeners would read Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Let me read that. For we must all be manifested before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done through the body according to what he has practiced, whether good or bad. This verse does not refer to unbelievers. It refers to the believers, and it says that all the believers will be judged by Christ at his judgment seat based upon the way they lived after they were saved. And this is why the Lord's word here in Matthew 5 is so critical. And he even mentions this judgment here. He says, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to the judgment. What judgment is this? This is the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. That shows us that living a proper life according to God's high standard of morality and righteousness in the kingdom is a very serious matter. Uh, In the previous uh, section, we mentioned these two inward sins that the Lord mentions. This is anger and lust. And if we're honest with ourselves, we will have to admit that these two matters, anger and lust, both of which are in man's heart, are damaging humanity today and uh, nearly uh, corrupting the entire human race. We can see them everywhere. And as believers, we also have the flesh with us. We also have the inward anger and the inward lust. We need to flee away from these two serious matters, and we need to keep ourselves all the time in an intimate, loving union with our Lord Jesus so that he will live in us and we will live him out, and we will be able to fulfill the requirements of the kingdom because one day this will have a very serious consequence for us.
1: Bob, uh, I think that we should probably leave by uh, highly recommending that our listeners contact us about receiving these printed life study messages. They can really explore these matters uh, that are serious, sobering, pertinent, relevant to unbelievers and believers alike. And uh, also another resource that we would highly recommend, of course, would be the recovery version of the New Testament. Footnotes and cross-references will really help you get into this matter for yourself. Let me give you the toll-free number uh, that you can find out about these resources we've been talking about. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Of course, you can always write to us, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to us to radio at lsm.org. And please try to be with us as we go further into this matter of the judgment seat that faces believers, separate and distinct from that that faces the unbelievers, yet there are consequences. But there's a life supply able to meet all the demands that God has placed on his people. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Weld. Thank you very much for listening. at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.